Powerful video, isn't it? Uh, I do believe that there are more good people in this world than there are bad. I also know that how we, how we see people will determine how we respond to them. It's easy. I know when... I know what I was doing on October 17th at 5.04 p.m. Uh, the Loma Prieta earthquake in, in the San Francisco area hit. And uh, we just moved there in August and, and uh, had the earthquake in October. And God was saying, welcome to California. Uh, but it was one of those, it was one of those uh, moments, and it seemed like before that, you know, everything was relatively new to us, but there were, it seemed like that there were people just doing their own thing, and everybody was living their own lives, but when that moment occurred, and that event happened, it transformed the, the entire Bay Area. Everybody was helping anybody they could. There weren't A's fans and Giants fans. There, there weren't, that wasn't East Bay and, and the North Bay. It was just people that saw a need and rushed out to help. I think sometimes, um, you know, events like that bring us together. But I believe today that we live in times that are meant, that are designed to divide us, to separate us to keep us focused on other things besides helping one another. And I will tell you that anything, anything, anything that promotes hate, that promotes fear, that promotes division is not of God. Let me say that again. I don't, it's like the, the man just said, uh, Neil Ford. It doesn't matter what you see on TV. It doesn't matter what you read in the news. It doesn't matter where you get the information. If it promotes hate, if it promotes fear, if it promotes division, if it promotes doubt, it is not of God. And I would encourage you today to not allow the circumstances that we live in to cloud your vision. Don't allow the things that are going on around us, whether it's in Afghanistan or whether it's on our southern border or whether it's in Washington, D.C. or whether it's in Tallahassee. It doesn't matter. There are many, many, many circumstances around us, but as Christians, as God's people, our focus must be on Him. We can't allow our circumstances to cloud our vision of what God has for us. Amen? Psalm 133 says, How good and pleasant it is when brethren argue and bicker and fight. No, that's just for families. Uh, Psalm 133 says how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. In unity. How do you dwell together in unity? When you have a common cause, when you have a common goal. I've told you the story before, but uh, I love it so much because we won. Uh, I'm going to tell you again. 
but I, I have I have three brothers and I have uh, three sisters and and uh, most of us were out in the front yard once when I was little and we were fighting amongst ourselves. If you have siblings, you understand that we were fighting one another. And then some neighborhood kids came by and they made a disparaging mark against my brother. So we stopped what we were doing. We went over there. And as Batman would say, we pummeled them severely around the head and shoulders. <laughs> Sent them on their way, and then we went back to our fight. That's what unity is. That we can, we can disagree, but the thing is, nobody is going to interfere with our family. And the church, God's people, we're the strongest when we rally around a unified cause. That's, that's with a nation, that's with a people, that's with a church. The early church was focused, and they were focused on one thing. They were focused on Christ crucified. They were focused on Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one that has come, and he is the one that pardons sins, and they were focused on the one cause. They were focused on it so much that they were willing to give their lives for that one cause. See, culture can blind our perspective of the real world. In, uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus said in John 4, 35, he said, I mean, you look on the fields and you look at them and, and you're looking at them with your natural eye and you're saying, in about four months, we're going to be ready for harvest. But Jesus said, if you really look, if you really focus, if you really get the right perspective, the fields are ripe and ready right now. What was Jesus saying? He was simply saying that our culture, your culture, my culture, the things that are around us can blind our perspective, can shift our understanding of the real world. The real world is not what's going on around us. The real world is the plan that, that God has that, that he is building a church, he's establishing a church, he is setting a church, and it's a glorious church. It's bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's you and I. And the, and the, the truth is, what, what the real world is, that Christ is coming back, Christ is going to redeem his church, and then Christ is going to come back with his church, he's going to establish a kingdom on this earth, and he is going to rule and reign in righteousness. That is the truth of what the scripture says, that is what the scripture proclaims, that is the perspective of the real world that every born-again Christian must must have we need to understand that Jesus was on the earth and Jesus wasn't on the earth because he wanted to take a vacation it was like whoo getting tired of all these angels and seraphims and I, I think I'll go down and hang out with with my homies Jesus was on the earth to seek and to save the lost Jesus was on the earth for people. Jesus was on the earth because he, he believed that people are worth it. That you are worth it. That your neighbor is worth salvation. 
Jesus' world was filled with the same things that we're seeing around us now. There were wars, there was strife, there was bloodshed, there was famine, there was hostility, there was insurrection. There was everything that you can see in our world today. It was in the time of the Roman Empire. It was in the time of Jesus. And yet, here's Jesus. He sees all of these things, and yet when he looks on humanity, he says, I see a harvest that is ready. Can I ask you a question? How do you see people? How do we see people? In John chapter 4, it gives us some understanding on how we can see with clear perspective and move others to come to Christ. I'm going to read it. It's very lengthy. Uh, we're going to have it on the screen, so I'm going to ask if you would just follow along with me. The Bible says, now, now he had to go, he being Jesus, had to go through Samaria. He was down in Jerusalem, and he was preaching, and he was teaching, and he was healing, and, and the Pharisees, those that were in charge uh, of the religious circle, just, uh, were gathering uh, momentum against him, so and it wasn't time for his crucifixion, so the Bible says that he had to leave, and he had to go through Samaria. Now, he didn't actually have to go through Samaria. He could have gone around Samaria, but the Scripture says he had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment, a divine appointment, with a woman that had never met him. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. Here they are, it's a desert place, they're tired, they've been walking, they get to the, uh, they get to the well, and in just a moment you're going to see where, where uh, Jesus sends his disciples into town to get some food, but Jesus says, man, I'm tired. I think I'll sit right here in the noon sun. I decided to go out the other day, and by the way, I, I really thank everybody, as, as I'm going to echo Sam's uh, comments, I, I so thank everybody for all the prayers and the concern, and, and, and as the video says, I do believe in good people, and there were a lot of good people that were not only praying for us, but brought us food and, and, and would send encouraging notes and, and letters. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart and for our family. Everybody is, is now negative and we're all, well, not negative in spirit, but we're negative from COVID and, and, and we're all doing well. If you ask me what happened in, in August, I can say I don't know. <laughs> I, I just seem to kind of got lost. But, but in John chapter 4, here, here's Jesus, and it's, it's noon, and I, I don't know where I got off on that, so I'm, I'm going on. Let's, let's go. Uh, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? You have to look at these, these six words, will you give me a drink, broke social norms. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Let's go on. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, Samaritans, 
the Samaritans were from the northern tribe. They were taken captive in around 721 B.C. And, and when they took all of the educated and most learned, and, and they went uh, into captivity, but the ones they left were mostly the poor and the uneducated, and they brought in other people from about five other regions, and they began to intermarry and they, and over the, the course of a hundred plus years, and, and, they, and they began to uh, adopt different religion, and, and they intermixed the religion of the northern kingdom with the religions of those that were a part of them, and the Jews looked at that and said, they're no longer our brothers, they're, they're no longer uh, following the, the, true, um, the true way, and they're not following Yahweh, so they disowned them. And the Jews had nothing to do with them. Let's go on. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water let's go on and sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father Jacob I'm going to answer yes uh, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock Jesus answered Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, okay, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Isn't that funny? She wants the water because she doesn't want to keep having to hoof that three-quarters of a mile out there to get water herself. She still doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. She said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, Man, you're right when you said you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you're now with uh, is not your husband. So what you have said is quite true. The woman said, man, I perceive you're a prophet. And then I don't think that she was the smartest one on the block. But she did understand that Jesus was a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that, that the place where, you, where we worship must be in Jerusalem. The woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, there is a time coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. I want you to look at this whole passage of Scripture. I, I'd mentioned that when Jesus asked her to, uh, to give her, him a drink, he broke a cultural and a religious norm because, number one, men did not talk to women alone. And, and Jews did not speak to Samaritans. But I found it interesting that she never mentions the, the cultural um, 
breach, but she does mention the religious breach. How is it that a Jew will speak to a Samaritan? See, Jesus saw good people when others saw less than perfect. When Jews would have nothing to do with Samaritans, the scripture says Jesus had to go through Samaria because he understood it didn't matter what anybody else looked at her and it didn't matter what everybody else thought of her. Jesus saw somebody worth saving. Jesus saw somebody that was worth salvation. Jesus saw somebody that was worth going to the cross and dying for their sins. I wonder if, if in our generation, and I know I'm beginning to meddle, I'm so sorry, but I wonder if we could get our eyes off of CNN, and I wonder if we could get our eyes off of Fox News, and I wonder if we could get our eyes off of the television and social media and social norms and begin to look at people that they are worthy because Christ died for them. That was free. It's not in the notes. See, Jesus saw good people. Do you see good people even when you don't agree with them? Do you still see good people that ridicule the name of Christ? See, Jesus' focus was on her becoming a true worshiper. And in his whole dialogue, and there are so many things in this passage of Scripture we could talk about, but I just really want to focus on one. Jesus worked through her misunderstanding to lead her to a place so that she could comprehend and understand who he was. He said, to really understand who, who I am, to really to really be a, a worshiper of God, you must first understand that you have to be a true worshiper. And true worshipers don't worship things they don't understand. True worshipers worship in two ways, in spirit and in truth. And I want to speak just for a moment on those two things. How do you worship in spirit? And how do you worship in truth? Revelation 1.10 says that John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The whole book of Revelation that, that God spoke to John, it didn't come when he was just at sitting down eating breakfast. It didn't come when he was walking his dog. It didn't come when he was contemplating uh, world events. The Bible says that John was in the Spirit. What does that mean to be in the Spirit? It means getting beyond yourself and getting to a place where your Spirit is communing with the Spirit. Because God is spirit. Jesus in the garden to his disciples that kept falling asleep, he said, your spirit's willing, but your flesh is weak. We, can, we have to work through our flesh to get to a place to worship in spirit. You ever, you ever get down to pray and, and you start praying and then everything that you need to do starts coming right before your eyes? And everything distracts you. 
and everything uh, gets you, um, you know, to, to focus on everything else other than prayer. To pray in the Spirit, you have to get beyond your flesh. You have to get beyond your understanding. Romans 8.26 says the Spirit can pray through us. There is a, a place in God, there is a place in prayer, there is a place in worship where you can get beyond who you are and, and you can, can connect with God with your spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 14, 15 says, pray with understanding and pray in the Spirit. You can pray with your understanding, and then there is a place that you can pray and worship in your Spirit. As I said before, I'm so thankful for everybody that was praying for me. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I got up on Monday, get ready to go to work, lost all sight in my left eye. I thought, well, this is interesting. I uh, went to the optometrist. He said, you need to go to the ER. I went to the ER, and I got to spend three nights and four days in the hospital. And they determined that I had a stroke in my left eye, a blood clot or whatever it was. But praise the Lord, he has healed me, and I have 20-20 vision in that eye. Yes, the Lord is good. And even the little floaters, you know those floaters you get when you get older? I'm not older yet, but I've heard about them. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're gone in my left eye, so I don't know. But, but praise be to the Lord, I am so thankful for him. But there was a moment in there when I was in the hospital. I just was working on my, my third week of COVID. I was feeling better, but not great. Uh, I'd been past that time of COVID where you think, okay, Lord, just go ahead and take me. Okay, Lord, let this be my last breath right now. Ready? Go. Okay, Lord, that wasn't it. Maybe this one's it. Ready? Go. And he didn't do it. But here I am in the hospital, and, and I'm just, you know, they've given me all this, this different medications and different things like that, and, and I'm there. And there was a place in there in the middle of one of the nights, and I don't remember what it was. I don't remember which night it was. But I got beyond, when in prayer, I got beyond my understanding. I got beyond knowing just who Jesus is. I got beyond understanding the Word of God and standing on the promises of God. And you say, how can you get beyond that? There are many times that I, I pray with my understanding and I say, Lord, I know you, what your word says and I stand on that. But there was a place in there that nothing else mattered. And I saw the Lord high and lifted up and my spirit began to worship and magnify and praise him. And I didn't care who heard me. I didn't care what, what my theology was. I didn't care about anything else other than I saw 
the Lord and he was worthy of praise and my spirit was calling out saying Lord I love you Lord I praise you Lord I serve you no matter what you are my God you are my Lord you are my Savior you're my healer you're my deliverer you're the one that has set me free and I began to worship him with my spirit Have you ever been there? When you're, when you're beyond saying, Lord, I, I trust your word. Lord, I, I, I'm beyond trusting. And, 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 and it's not that you don't trust, but you get to the place that you say, I don't care what God does. I'm worshiping him. I'm praising him. Worshiping with your spirit. Getting beyond your flesh. You have to get beyond your pride. You have to get beyond what other people think. You have to get beyond your own ego. You have to get beyond everything else of, of man, what, are, what am I going to look like or what are they going to say about me? And you get to the place that you don't care. The only thing that matters is God. And you're going to worship him with everything in you. Scripture also says that not only do you worship in spirit, but you worship in truth. See, how you see Christ will determine how you worship him. Do you see Christ as a man on a cross, a man that walked the earth, a good man. How do you see Christ? Because how you see him, how much power and authority you attribute to him will determine how you worship him. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In Christ... What Paul is saying is, if you want to see God, look at Jesus. If you want to see the one that, that put the stars in their place, look at Christ. If you want to see the one that measured the oceans in the palm of his hand, look at Christ. If you want to see God Almighty, look at Christ. Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And yet Paul goes on to describe him best in Philippians 2, that being in the form of God, he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of of a servant. What does that mean? That he is God and he set aside his regal robes and became part of us, became humanity, and he walked among us and he talked among us and he ministered to us and he and he was allowed and he allowed himself to, to be crucified and to be humiliated and he died and he rose again and now he gives power for eternal life to anybody that trusts in him. He gave us his spirit. 
And the scripture says, if that spirit which dwelled in Christ will dwell, dwells in you, it shall also quicken and make alive your body at his return. What gives you the power of resurrection? It's the spirit that lived in Christ. When it lives in you, when you allow that spirit to, to dwell in you, when you allow that spirit to be magnified in your life, when you allow that spirit to, 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 be, to be not only a part of you, but you're living for him and you're serving him when that trumpet sounds there's not enough uh, graves in this world to keep you down there's no power to keep you on this earth because if you have the spirit of Christ when he comes for you and he calls your name you will arise how do you see Christ the Bible says when we get to heaven we're going to see God God's a spirit. You're going to see God in the face of Christ. Worship him for who he is. If you see Christ as buried in a tomb, you'll never see him in his fullness. As Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled temple I'm going to ask our praise team to come back how we worship how we see Christ in spirit and in truth how we worship will determine our response to the world around us we're getting ready to remember commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Yet there's not a person in here that was alive that cannot tell me exactly where they were and what they were doing on that day. It's an event that galvanized the American spirit. You realize that it was one of those things that just brought us together. And I wonder today, would you stand with me please? I wonder as God's people, whether you're here, you're watching online, Are we looking at the events of our world and thinking, wow, this is, this is chaotic and, and, and this is confusing and this is, brings anger and frustration and, and hurt and pain? Or are we looking at it and, and saying this is a time that the church really needs to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, knowing who He is, and yet getting beyond ourselves that we just don't care what other people think. We're worshiping Him. I remember the first, uh, when I gave my life to the Lord, I was sitting in a, in a church at two deals. I was sitting about where Zach is. 
and it was a Wednesday night and the pastor gave an invitation. I can't believe a pastor would have the audacity to give a, an invitation on a Wednesday night. And I remember sitting there and uh, we were all standing and, they, and he was giving this invitation and my hands were on the, the pew in front of me. I think if you go back there right now, you can still see my imprint. I mean, I was hanging on. And I was fighting. And you say, who are you fighting with? I was fighting with self. See, my spirit on the inside had heard the word of God. And, and on the inside, there was something in me that said, man, he's inviting me down to, to the front where I can just surrender my life to the Lord. And yet my flesh was saying, what are people going to think of you? They're going to think that you're weak. They're going to think that you're frail. They're going to think that you're weak-minded. They're going to think all of these things. And ego was fighting against the spirit within me. And the greatest decision I've ever made in my life is when I argued with myself and said, self, you've been in charge for all these years and you have led me down a path of confusion and doubt and worry and bitterness and everything else in this world. And I made my way, went down to the front, and did not care what people thought of me. I wanted Jesus. Nothing else. And you say, did you worship him in, in truth? I worshiped him. I worshiped the Lord in truth in what I knew about him. This many years on this side of it, I can say I know a lot more about Christ than what I did then. But I did know that he died for my sins. He rose again and he would grant me eternal life if I would come to him. I understood enough to know. But I didn't want to just worship him with truth. I wanted to worship him as deep calls to deep. I wanted my spirit to commune with the spirit of the living God. Perhaps you're here today and you have allowed the things of this world to, to blind you or to, to jade you on what, on what God is calling you to be and who God is calling you to be. I wonder, has it, how long has it been since you really have gotten to the place where you said, Lord, I don't care who's around me. I don't care what people think. I just want to worship you. I just want to praise you. I just want to lift up your name. And I call upon you because I love you. Perhaps you've never done that. I will tell you, if you have never been to that place, if you've never surrendered your life to the Lord, I will promise you, it's the greatest blessing you will ever have in your entire life. It's the greatest blessing to know that when you lay your head at, down at night, should the Lord call you, that you are going to be at home with Him. 
40 years later, I could say there has never been a greater decision I've ever made than following Jesus. I could say during that 40 years, I can look at my life and I can see times where I trusted him more in truth and I got away from worshiping him in spirit. But every single time when, when I get back to that place that I don't care how much knowledge I have and I don't care how much experience I have, it's just connecting with the creator is what really matters. I wonder today if there are those that would, would join me around the front we used to call it an altar we have done away with those we now have steps I wonder if there are those that would say I've never encountered Christ but I want to surrender my life to him would you come maybe you're a Christian you've been walking with him 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years but it's been a while it's been a while since you've connected with the presence of God in your life and you're hungry and you're thirsty and you say, I just want more of God. Would you come? 